I want to wish you all a happy Lord's Day morning. Thank you for coming. Let's uh, start this with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these believers. Use, please use this time to, uh, to instruct us, to encourage us, to edify us, and to uh, have a better understanding of what has preceded us and a, and a greater appreciation for what you have done in history. Amen. All right. So um, if you if you don't have this book, you don't have to have it. But it, I, I am basically basically um, forming my lesson plan after his presentation of the material. I don't say everything he says and I say some things that he doesn't say, say. But um, this book, you can get it for 20 bucks on Amazon and uh, it will not only help you um, be able to study a little further the material that I'm saying, but uh, you can read it on your own time at your own convenience. So uh, we are, if you are following along, we are working our way through chapter three of Needham's book. We're looking at the apostolic uh, fathers, the early church fathers, and the apologists. And I had uh, just gotten to this point looking at um, what Justin Martyr had described in his first apology, and no, that's not saying he's sorry for something. Uh, an apologia is a written or a prepared defense. It was a legal term. And he wrote it uh, to the, it might have been Marcus Aurelius. Uh, does that name ring a bell? Who here has seen Gladiator? Gla- okay. I rebuke you, and you need to, um, Marcus Aurelius was the kindly, kindly, lovable um, father, grandfatherly emperor that dies in the first five minutes of Gladiator. Um, yeah, so uh, he was the emperor uh, during, the, during the life of Justin Martyr and during the death of Justin Martyr. And uh, we'll, we'll get into this a little later, but uh, Justin wrote his first apology, I think, to him. Um, and again, I'm going to get into this later, but what, what, the, what the apologists did was basically refute the claims and arguments that, that people were making about the Christians. And so we find in this, in this uh, piece of writing that has survived uh, in pretty good detail what the, what, um, for example, what the Christian service was like. One of the claims was that, you know, they're they're doing all these sorts of weird, uh, dirty, perverse, black arts things behind closed doors, and Justin Martyr is writing and explaining to the emperor, no, it, we actually we spend uh, a good amount of time uh, reading and being exposed to the scriptures. We are spending a lot of time in prayer, and then we spend time. Uh, observing the Lord's Supper. So um, these were basically the two, uh, the, way, the way a Christian service, a weekly Christian service, which did take place on Sunday. That has been a, a, a tradition since uh, the days of, of the apostles. Um, the way the Christian service would, would work, and notice up at the top, how long a, a typical Christian service would last? Three hours. So the fir- roughly the first half or the first chunk would be the service of the word. 
and the, the bishop would, would start the meeting by saying uh, uh, grace to you, and there would be a, a response from the con- congregation and to your spirit, and that would basically kick off the service. And there would be a reading from the Old Testament and then a, a, a time in prayer. And then there would be a reading from one of the Gospels, and then there would be a time in prayer. And then there would be um, uh, a time of reading from the epistles. And there, I'm sorry, not prayer. There would be hymns. I, in my mind, I was just, con- I, I was thinking, this is going to contradict something I'm saying a little later, and this doesn't sound right, but better keep saying it. Um, between each of the readings, there would be a time of worship, typically psalms, uh, sometimes a hymn, if they had that on hand. And then there would be a sermon after uh, this time of reading and worship. And then the service of the word concludes, and the service of the Eucharist, or and that, that's just a, a traditional word for communion or Lord's Supper, the service of the Eucharist would begin, and who's who's dismissed? Who Who is not welcome at the service of the Eucharist? What? On, well, on basically, if you were a believer, it was assumed you're baptized. If you if you weren't a professing believer, if you haven't been baptized, you were not welcome. You were shown the door respectfully. You were shown the door. You were not welcome at the service of the Eucharist. I think I said last time there was a much uh, smaller emphasis or, or weight placed upon corporate worship. There was a much greater emphasis and value placed on on communion. And so uh, communion as well as prayer, and this is where I thought, I'm, I'm about to contradict myself. Prayer was thought to be a spiritual activity energized by the Holy Spirit and cooperating with, with the ministry of Christ. Uh, this was something that Christians believed only happens with Christians, with spirit-indwelt people. And so unbelievers and pagans who were, who were uh, readily welcome to this part of the service, they were asked, don't, please don't be a part of this for your own sake. Uh, so there would be a time of lengthy prayer. Justin Martyr says, what does he say here? After the unbelievers are dismissed, a topic would be introduced, a, a topic that would be uh, the focus of prayer. And the bishop would allow a time of individual and private prayer. I think we did that a week or two ago. Um, And then the bishop himself would lead the congregation prayer, uh, basically servicing, uh, uh, giving a a, a summation of the prayers. And that would go on for some time. And then he would introduce another topic or another theme. And the congregation would have a time of prayer. And then he would give a, a, a summation prayer period. And then that would happen for some time. And then another topic would be given. And so th- this time of prayer, which during the prayer, the, the, the traditional form uh, manner of prayer was that everybody stood for the entire time. So this is up to an hour, hour and a half of, of corporate and private prayer, uh, which... Justin Martyr uh, emphasizes happened and was repeated for some lengthy time. And then 
the communion was given, the Lord's Supper, for which more thanks was given. For as as uh, as Justin says, for considerable length, thanks was more thanks was given at considerable length for our being counted worthy to receive these things from His hands. So you can, I hope you can see that in the early church, prayer was was very much a valued and esteemed activity. And he's again, he's doing this. He's providing details about this uh, in response. You know, the details that we have are, are in his apologia which was written to the emperor, uh, trying to defend. It, he's responding to the accusations and the allegations that Christians are doing the, all sorts of these weird things, perverted things, unholy things behind closed doors. And then uh, after, after the communion, um, one thing that's interesting is that the people brought their own contributions to the communion, and then it was, it was uh, gathered into a pool, a collective pool, and then distributed among the entire body, as, and the deacons would also, after the service, uh, deliver to the, the sick and the poor who weren't able to attend the service. And people also took leftovers home. And so after com- communion was concluded, which roughly could be a three-hour period, um, and this wasn't um, – if I say liturgy, does everyone – does anyone not know what liturgy is? Liturgy is basically the, the order, the structure of the service. You know, here at SVBC, uh, uh, Daniel uh, kicks us off with a prayer, or with, with, a, with, a, with a song, with three songs, and then we have a, a time of um, a few announcements maybe, scripture reading and prayer, and then another song, and then the sermon, and then a closing song. That's, that's our liturgy. In the early church, this is roughly what the liturgy looked like, but individual churches had complete freedom to change it up or alter it up. And it wasn't until a couple centuries later that um, basically Rome kind of set the standard or the template for the, the order of service and the style of service. One thing I do want to uh, just add about this was uh, in the early church until about the, I don't know, the 4th or the 5th century, there, were, uh, there was an activity that was originally part of uh, communion called the love feast. Has anyone heard that phrase before? The love feast. You can, uh, you can see this in passages uh, like 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 20 to 34. You can see this referenced in um, Jude, uh, Jude 1, 12, um, where, Paul, or where Jude is referring to false teachers who are, the, as he says, reefs hidden among your love feasts. This was basically uh, a, a time of, of a meal that was attached to communion. And Tertullian, in, uh, who was a uh, church father in the third century, um, writes, he's explaining this, he's writing to his uh, pagan accusers, he says, we don't behave as you pagans do in your feasts, where parasites strive for the glory of satisfying their sensual dispositions, selling themselves to all kinds of shameful treatment for a belly feast. And he goes on later and says, uh, As it is an act of religious worship, it permits no vice or impurity. Those who partake before reclining first taste the sweetness of prayer to God. They eat only so much as satisfies the demands of hunger. They drink only so much as is suitable for temperate persons. They say it is enough as those who remember that even during the night they must worship God. They talk or they speak as those who know that the Lord is one of those listening. 
So can, can you see in his words how he is, he is working and writing to, to correct uh, accusations against sensual, rowdy, riotous, violent, um, even immoral things that were allegedly going on in the love feasts? Um, he, he concludes, We go from the feast not like troops of mischief makers, nor bands of vagrants, nor to rush forth into licentious deeds but to have as much care of our modesty and chastity as if we had come from a school of virtue rather than a banquet. So for the first several centuries, uh, the communion would, would, en- would basically in- include this, this time of a feast, and it would uh, last until about the 5th century. It would fade in dis- into disuse and then eventually just dis- disappear altogether, and we don't do that. So I just say, include this to say that, you know, when I'm, incur- when I'm inviting people to go out to lunch after, after uh, service, hey, it could be biblical. It could, you know, it could be what the early church did, just saying. So, now we're looking into basically the, the early Christians' uh, relationship with pagan society. And as I've hinted already, um, they didn't play along nicely. Uh, society um, did not have a, a positive uh, opinion of the Christians. And this is due to several reasons. One, the, the Christians uh, conflicted with society because they didn't, there, there was so much of society that they could not be involved in. Um, observing any kind of sanctioned holiday or celebration, um, working in any capacity for the Roman state, taking, taking part in any kind of... Uh, Normal civil event or occasion uh, typically involved some kind of worship or uh, uh, involvement with offering, with giving offerings to or praying to the pagan gods. Uh, even public entertainment, and you know, for some, for some of those, for some of you who have been around for a little bit, you know, for, for some of you, for some of us who have the white hairs, you can. Oh, no, no, I said us, us. I'm included. I'm pointing to. I'm a. Okay, no, note to self, don't make notes. Okay, so some of you who, who, can, who can compare media, you know, 40-plus years ago to what is on TV now, to what is on Netflix now, to what is on syndicate entertainment and movies, and even on the cover of magazines, you know, even 20 or 30 years ago, some of the mag- magazine covers that, that are just – on view for everyone to see would have had a, a, a black plastic thingy placed in front of it 20 years ago. Now, you know, they call it, they call it a, a health magazine. Uh, the things that you can see on TV and in the movies wouldn't have flown 20 years ago. So kind of along that lines of, of society conflicting with Christian values, the early church conflicted because simply participating um, – being a part of, uh, of public entertainment, going to the theater, uh, going to the gladi- uh, gladiatorial games, um, even going to the hospital involved, at the very minimum, a, a hat tip to paganism. More commonly, it, it involved uh, contributing to or, or participating or promoting the Roman paganism. Even going to the hospital, uh, the state paid and provided uh, priests for the for the Greek, for the Roman god of healing, um, which I can't remember his name, but it sounds something like a scalpel. But uh, uh, the state even paid for 
pagan priests to pray over their patients. And so going to a, a Roman hospital meant that you would be partaking in pagan prayer. Christian artists, I mean, we, we've seen this in the last couple of years. Uh, Christian artists uh, couldn't do much for pagan customers because of what they'd be asked to do. You know, nowadays you can't in good conscience run a Christian business because someone's going to come in and ask you to put something immoral uh, or sexual on a cake. Or on a, you know, if, if you run a, uh, I know a guy who ran a t-shirt printing business and he had to, he had to close his doors because someone, uh, knowing that he would say no, they just ordered, you know, 50 shirts with something on it, on it that he, in his conscience, couldn't do. So they sued him. So Christian artists couldn't do much for pagan customers. Magistrates, part of their job description, part of their daily duties, offering uh, pagan prayer and worship. Soldiers, uh, as part of their duty to the empire, they had to regularly uh, offer incense and, and worship to the emperor. Uh, teachers had to teach on the sacred books of the Greek gods. The, the, the Greek, the Romans treated books like Homer's Iliad as a sacred text. So the things that, you know, Disney is making cute little cartoons on, like with uh, uh, Hercules and everything, that was considered history. That was considered the basis for philosophy and for science in, in the Roman education system. And so Christians, in their conscience, they, it was a violation of their conscience to take part in these things. And so they would withdraw from, from uh, entertaining, from uh, being involved in these things. And so... Society would look at them and say, y'all are just a bunch of, in, of uh, antisocial, self-righteous buffoons. You know, isn't that what we're called today? So they, they were considered self-righteous. They were, uh, consi- they were labeled antisocial. And because they rejected uh, the pagan gods, plural, and sa- had the audacity to say there's only one true God, they were also called atheists. Go figure. Um, as I said, uh, they, they uh, you know, a Christian in good, good conscience could not go to the, the gladiator games where, you know, people are being killed like animals. You know, pe- people being, people who are made in the image of God are being killed for sport and, and treated like refuse. Uh, so Christians wouldn't take a part of that. Uh, Christians not only uh, did not participate in abortion, they would actually, the early church would actually go around and find uh, infants that were just, the, the, the term is called exposure. If you had a child and, you know, you wanted a boy but you had a girl, um, or if you had a, a, a child that had a defect, and for whatever reason, if you didn't want it, the, um, you could just put him or her on the back porch and sooner or later... Dogs will take care of it. Christians would go around and pick up these these infants, and um, that did not make them popular in the in the eyes of the state as well as uh, as their neighbors. Um, Roman society allowed for very easy divorce. Christians not only uh, didn't do that, but they had the audacity to speak out against it. You know, and uh, unbelievers and pagans they don't typically like being told that they're doing something wrong. Um, and they also, uh, th- although there were there were on occasion in some capacities Christians who could serve in the military, uh, because being in the military didn't just mean that you were a soldier who killed people. The military also served as a police force. 
They were the uh, they were basically the the, the firefighters. Um, they did all sorts of civil duties, and so um, you could you could get be in the military, not necessarily have to kill people, but it wasn't typically something Christians looked to do. And so uh, it was very. There were many areas where where Roman civilians, Roman the Romans did not look kindly upon Christians, and so the the church became very unpopular. And this this led to their persecution. Now, something to note is that we know that uh, the the emperors at some points in time did persecute Christians, but mostly until 250, most of the persecution in the early church didn't come from the from an edict or the orders or the will of of emperors. Ironically. Um, some of the really bad emperors who had really bad um, uh, civil rule and civil policies were actually tolerant of the Christians. And some, some emperors who, were, uh, who history looks at and says he was a great guy uh, persecuted Christians. Marcus Aurelius was one. Um, but most persecution did not come from the hand or the will of the emperor. Most persecution came from governors and from magistrates uh, when, when civil unrest, when, when popular opinion uh, would, uh, against the Christians would rise to the point that the emperors were, were forced to ask themselves this question. It, the, the, com- the commoners, the people are angry. There's tension. If I, uh, and, and they say a lot of, this, a lot of these, the problems are because of the Christians. If I punish the Christians, if I persecute the Christians, if I throw them in jail, if I, uh, if I whip them, if I even execute them, will that appease the masses and cool them down? And when, when, when the governors would ask themselves that question and the answer was yes, then they would go ahead and persecute Christians. Um, until 250, when persecution did happen, it, w- it tended to be very sporadic. It tended to be um, isolated to individual uh, regions or cities, um, and it tended to be very temporary. So um, one of the things that made Christian persecution even possible was, um, if you remember uh, two, le- two sessions ago, we talked about how for a while uh, the Christians kind of fell under the umbrella of Judaism and Ju- the Jews had a uh, Friends of Rome status. Do you remember that? So for a, for a short while, you know, at least an, until 60-something A.D., the Christians were, were, um, had the protection that were given to the Jews. Well, over time, even the Romans realized Christians are not just another kind of Jews. And so they lost this, per, this um, permitted religion status. And not only that, but they were also seemed to be a threat to Rome because they're going around with, um, you know, exclusive truth claims, saying that there are objective standards of right and wrong. There is truth and there is falsity. And this, this didn't bode well uh, with the Romans who were very uh, syncretistic. They, uh, 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 syncretism is basically where you have a federation of faiths. Uh, when you have many faiths that are just interlocking hands and they all get along together. Like, you know, the, you know, that tolerance bumper sticker that has like seven or eight. Yeah. That's That's syncretism. That is a bumper sticker for syncretism. That was Rome. Rome didn't care what you worshiped 
six days of the week as long as, you know, once a week you offer up incense to the emperor and you paid your taxes. That's really all. And as long as you didn't cause problems. Well, Christians not only um, couldn't worship the emperor, but they had the audacity to uh, give uh, exclusive truth claims. And the fact that, you know, unlike Judaism, which had been around for thousands of years, Christianity is this new kid on the block. And, and, and the, the founder of this new faith uh, is, a, is a teacher who was rejected by his own people and crucified, which, you know, the Romans could not really look upon someone crucified with any level of respect. Furthermore, unlike the Jews who really, you know, they, they look down upon the Gentiles, uh, the Christians are proselytizing. They're making disciples of everybody. Um, and... The people, the Christians were also accused of things like cannibalism, you know, um, a misunderstanding of texts that where Jesus says uh, to eat his flesh, drink his blood. Uh, They were accused of incest because they were calling each other brother and sister and they had a a love for one another. That was just, that was new language for the Romans. And because they, you know, did things behind closed doors and they didn't let... uh, um, unbelievers and pagans take part in in certain ceremonies they were accused of you know they must be involved in something occultic or or some black magic stuff so as i said until 250 um when 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 tensions would rise um the governors would ask themselves you know if i if if i put the heat on the christians will that take the 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 heat off of me and that was why they would uh typically persecute the church um and when anything when anything bad in society happened the 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 claim would be is that because the christians are going around uh converting everybody and making you know because the pagan gods and the roman gods are losing so many worshipers they must be angry and so when any kind of disaster happens uh popular opinion would be it's because the christians And uh, Tertullian says, uh, describing the the kind of accusations, when the Tiber floods or the Nile fails to flood, up goes the cry, Christians to the lion. And it was common thought that, uh, again, the the Roman gods are angry because they were losing worshipers. And and they they would say things like, oh, there's no rain today. Why? Oh, because of the Christians. So everything was the Christians' fault. And in in response to these... um, in response to these claims come the apologists. Now, some of these were bishops. Most of these men were very learned people. Uh, many of them came out of uh, philosophy. And if you remember f- uh, from last time, if you were a philosopher, w- what did philosophers do? Did they work in the mines? Did they build stuff with their hands? Did they harvest the the field and crops what did philosophers do what yeah thinkers um they 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 stand around and they talk and they think all day in order to do that and still go home and have something to eat that you've got to have money so uh many of these guys come from from wealthy families many uh these these are guys who come from um edu- backgrounds of education good upbringing uh and so and and they could write very well and so they would uh they would write to 
they would write in response to the accusations and the claims that you know Christians are basically these these um, uh, rebellious, uncivil, antisocial, perverted, nasty, weird um, uh, people. The the apologists would respond to those, and not only say that well what you're saying is wrong, and what Christ, uh, and this and this is what uh, Christians actually believe, and so they would. Uh, say that Christians were good, law-abiding citizens. Christians pay their taxes. Christians actually pray for their unbelieving neighbors. Christians actually pray for the emperor and for the well-being of the empire. And then they would explain what Christians believe and what they do. And we saw a, an example of that in Justin's Apologia. Uh, and again, that was a, it was a legal term. Uh, it's not an apology in the way that we use it. It uh, it was a prepared uh, speech, and you can see the, um, you can see this in Peter's words in First Peter three fifteen. Uh, have a ready defense for those who ask about the hope within you. Several times in the book of Acts, when when Paul is brought before um, magistrates and governors, uh, he gives a defense. That's this word, an apologia, uh, a reasoned, a thought out defense. So again, they're highly cultured. Several of them were bishops. Several of them were uh, philosophers. And the, the one that I want to just talk touch on for a second is Justin Martyr, because he's probably the only one that we've heard about. Um, and his last name is not Mar- He wasn't given the surname Martyr at his birth. Can anyone imagine why he was given that name? Softball question. Yes. And he was uh, executed by, I uh, believe, uh, Marcus Aurelius, the kindly grandfather from Gladiator. Uh, he's, he's the most renowned of the apologists. Uh, he wrote two apologies, uh, one to his emperor, who, um, you know, they didn't have Xerox machines. And, and paper was expensive. And so if you're going to write to someone, you need to write to someone uh, who, upon reading it and is hopefully convinced of it, they're in a position to, do, to, to make a change. And so many of these apologists would write to the governors, magistrates, even emperors. And there's, real, there's no record that any emperor even actually ever read the apology that was sent to him. Uh, Justin's first apology was sent to uh, the emperor. His second apology was written to the Roman Senate. Uh, and then he also wrote a, dial, a dialogue with Trypho the Jew, which is... Uh, Interesting because for a long time, uh, Christians typically had a uh, bordering on anti-Semitic uh, attitude towards the Jews, which we touched on before. Uh, he had Greek parents. Uh, he, was, uh, he was from Palestine. He was originally a Platonist. That means he was a philosopher. And uh, he interacted with, uh, with a kindly old man who convinced him that... Um, uh, Christ was the fulfillment of, of all the Greeks' pursuit of knowledge. You know, maybe this man used passages like uh, Colossians 2, 3 that says, you know, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, maybe he preached from um, Proverbs 2 that, uh, that speaks about wisdom crying out and imploring that people turn to, turn to her. Uh, and, and maybe he said that that's Christ. I, I don't know the passage that he used. Um, Justin was also very much impressed with how Christians were so willing to go to their deaths uh, for their Christian testimony. 
So um, he put out some good work, and then he was executed in 165. Now, as I said, they wrote to emperors, they wrote to magistrates, they wrote to governors, and there's no record that any, any of these people ever received or read them. So were they successful in their, in their endeavor, in that, in, that, in that sense? No. But he was, they were largely successful in edifying the church because while the governors and emperors and magistrates uh, couldn't care any less about what these guys wrote, the church got their hands on, on these letters. And the church uh, were able to refine their thinking uh, clarify their their words, uh, solidify their thoughts on doctrine, and so the church benefited greatly from the from the writings of these apologists. Okay, so that concludes this period. Uh, I think next we're looking at uh, Gnosticism, uh, Montanism, and eventually we're going to get to uh, uh, Constantine. But I have a couple questions uh, I thought we could do for a time of review, and I am a compassionate despot. What? Yes, I do have the microphone. I could just repeat the answer for the recording. What? Okay. So I have treats for people who answer correctly, just as an incentive uh, and a reward for those who pay attention. Okay, so... um, what led to the first spread, you know, going back to the first century, what's, uh, what influenced or what catalyzed the first spread of the gospel in the early church? By whom, to whom? Paul representing who? Okay, that's close enough. Do you want Snickers or, or Twix? Okay. Uh, the, the persecution of Palestinian Jews or Hebrew Jews. Perse- persecution, persecution by uh, Palestinian Jews against Greek Christians, uh, which you see uh, beginning with... Um, the, the stoning of Stephen and uh, seen in, in um, the, the Pharisees dispatching Saul to round up Christians, uh, that led to the first spread of the gospel uh, outside Palestine. Um, did anyone remember what great, uh, what church was founded as a result of that? What church was founded as a result and uh, who did they commission to go out into the mission field. I, Jen? And they commissioned who? Paul, the Apostle Paul. Snickers? Okay. Okay. Um, What severed the relationship between Jews and Christians uh, in the last 20 to 30 years of the first century? 
You have Jerusalem with some Christians in it, mostly Jews. Civil unrest. The Zealots and the Sadducees and the Essenes uh, start uh, the Jewish revolt. Rome comes in. Who leaves? The, the church leaves, does not help the Jews in their fight against Rome. The Jews um, are largely squashed, the Pharisees being the only Jewish uh, sect uh, teaching or influence left. And the, the Jews look upon uh, Christians as being traitors who left them and desert, uh, deserters. And so in their, um, in their commentaries, they, said they put a curse on the sect of the Nazarenes. So after that point, Christians and Christians were no longer allowed to even be in synagogues. Um, what's the difference between early church fathers, apostolic fathers, and the apologists? So this is, this is going into second second century. One is one is a, is a very broad term, and the other two are more narrow terms. Um, church fathers or, or, or early church fathers, apostolic fathers, and apologists. Eric, you're allowed to answer too. The, uh, the apostolic fathers were were church fathers who came uh, in the generation immediately after the apostles passed away. So that's that's who the apostolic fathers were. Were who were the early church fathers or, or church fathers? That 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 first group was was a, was a was a narrow margin. What? Probably up to, probably up to the fourth or fifth century. Yeah, so the, the early church fathers or church fathers, these are the, these are the guys who wrote and who influenced uh, the early church. The, many of them being bishops, although they didn't have to be a bishop or they didn't have to be a pastor. Uh, the, these are the guys who, who wrote and who helped shape theology and church practice and church disciplines. Uh, who are the apologists? Covered today. They weren't. They weren't men. Oh, Daniel, what? What? Uh, Snickers or Twix? I'll get better. Okay, so who were the apologists? Were they men who said we're sorry? Yeah, so what what were what kind of things were they writing? In response to what? Okay, good enough. Okay, good enough. What what kind of things were what kind of things were Christians accused for? Good. 
Okay, Ben, Twix or uh, or Snickers? Yes. Okay. Um, until 250 A.D., was percussion empire-wide or per- persecution? Yes, I make up words here. Uh, and until 250 was uh, was percussion persecution empire-wide? Yes or no? Now, we'll explain. Yeah, that, well, that was that was Trajan um, in the uh, like 115 to one, yeah, yeah. Um, so he said, uh, and I don't think I covered this part because um, I was trying to be sensitive to time. But um, one of his governors basically writes to him and says, you know, how, how am I supposed to respond to the to accusations of these Christians? You know, they they're doing all these horrible things. And um, Trajan basically said, uh, just just I mean, this is pretty relevant in light of the Kavanaugh thing, just because someone is accused of something doesn't mean they're guilty of it. Um, and so he said, uh, give, you know, for anyone who, because uh, people were being persecuted even uh, uh, because of being accused of being Christian. He said, give them a test. Um, have, them, have them offer incense and, and, and worship my, my statue. If they worship the emperor, then, w- w- because I'm told that Christ- true Christians don't do that kind of a thing. If if they do that, let them go. If they do do that, kill them. And so that that becomes standard policy for 200 years. Now, not uh, not every governor would actively, you know, um, put his efforts into exercising that edict. Uh, you know, that, that that wouldn't be his priority. Typically, he would persecute Christians when what? What, what was the what was the fuel or the catalyst or the cause for for persecution when it happened? Yeah. And the governors would ask those who had the power to to persecute. They would ask themselves, what? Will will uh, torturing Christians will persecuting and executing Christians do what? Yeah, well, t- t- it would take the heat off them. It's giving the people what they want. Um, let's see, I got, I got time for one or two more. What were the, what were the two, what were the two basic parts of an early church service? Service of the what? Service of the what? Okay. Do you want another one? Okay. Uh. What happened when the service of the word concluded and they went into the service of the Eucharist? Yeah. Uh, Twix or Snick? Okay. I could get in that narrow window. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, clo- I'll close with one more. Um, the, the apologists, these, these men who could write well, um, you know, many of them coming out of philosophy or 
sometimes there were pastors, they write to the, the emperors, they write to governors, they write to magistrates and say all these things that, that Christians are being accused of, that's not true because of X, Y, and Z, and this is what Christians actually do. Was, uh, was it effective? And if not, what good still came out of their work? Yeah, because what, what did the church do with all those writings? And what and what got better? Excellent. What? Yeah, it, I, what, I'm, what I meant to say was their their intent was not achieved. You know, they they, they did not convince um, the people in power, but the God still used their writings to bring about good for the church so uh snickers or twix what what is uh okay all right i'll close with that and uh you can enjoy a, a little reprieve before service lord thank you for this time uh help us, again help us to appreciate your grace and your mercy and your provision to your church throughout the ages um, thank you for your grace to us here today please bless the the worship service Glorify yourself uh, through our singing and through the preaching of your word. Amen.